0: This is Rumble Strip Vermont. I'm Erica Heilman. This show is called After the Forgetting.
1: And now
2: the purple dusk of twilight time steams across the meadows of my heart.
0: We start out in life as children. We cannot drive or dress ourselves or talk sensibly about politics. And generally, we're forgiven. If we're lucky, we live long and happy lives. And then, things change again. And again, perhaps, we cannot drive, it's harder to dress ourselves, and maybe we've lost interest in politics. For some reason, many reasons, these changes at the end of life are harder to accept. This hour is for everyone who is getting older a show in two parts. Part one is a story I made in 2008 about one family's experience living with an elderly mother who has dementia. Part two, an interview with one of the story's main characters, Greg Shero, about love and death. Welcome.
1: That melody haunts my reverie
2: So, do you have a name for me? For you? Mm-hmm.
1: No, I never used a name other than you.
2: Hmm. Do you need a name for me?
1: No. Ah, it's a. It's been a bit of a beautiful, beautiful um, situation. It's uh, seeing you, feeling you, hearing you, and all that sort of thing, is a delight. Doesn't? Even, wouldn't have to be anything else.
0: Oh, sister, when I. That was Marjorie and Gregory Sherrow. Marge is Greg's mother, but she doesn't remember that anymore. Or not exactly. For the last eight years, Marge has been forgetting the names for most things, including her son Greg and Greg's husband, Bob. This is a story about what remains for this family after the forgetting. Physicians have this
2: like handy-dandy little test to uh, determine level of cognitive ability. And part of it is reading a clock face and what year is it? Who's the president? Where do you live? These are all questions she can't answer. And, you know, she depends on me to answer questions. So each time he'd answer a question, she'd look at me and he'd say, no, you have to answer this on your own. And she was feeling more and more anxious. And then he asked her, were you ever married? And she said, yes. And he said more than once. And she said, "I hope not." And then he said, "Do you have any children?" And she got this gigantic grin on her face. She swung around in her seat and said, "Here's one. Yeah. Every now and then, you'll ask me if I'm married."
1: Yeah. Well, I I, I always wondered if you'd get had uh, gotten married.
2: Mm-hmm. But and I, I I did, I did get married. Yeah. And then. My wife and I separated. Yeah. And now, this is my partner. This is my husband, Bob.
3: <laughs> uh-huh. Got
2: a ring, wedding rings. Oh, wedding for goodness' <laughs> sake! <laughs> so he's your son-in-law.
1: So that's my friend.
2: <laughs>
3: yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. You're related to him.
1: <laughs> Am I related to him? Yeah. You
3: are. Yeah. You're related to him as well. He's your son.
1: Yeah. Gregory is, yeah. 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 That's as good as anything.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's the way I look at it. Yeah. Greg and I have known each other for, I guess, 11 years now. We are both divorced, and we each have two daughters. And we, without knowing each other, both came out of the closet when we were 42 years old. And started dating each other, and eventually we have a civil union now, so Marge is now officially my mother-in-law. So in Vermont, she's my mother-in-law. If we leave the state of Vermont, she's just some nutty old lady. (laughs) I didn't say that. (laughs) No, but she's fabulous.
2: What do you like? I want to talk about you. I want to talk about you. I want to know what it's like to be old.
1: I don't mind being old, really. As long as I'm able to be on my feet and to hear and to do and to be, as long as I can keep that, I'm not unhappy. How about you?
2: Oh, I'd like to have more energy.
1: Yeah, well, I'd like to have more energy, too. But... There are periods, when I get a, a spurt of it, but it doesn't last long because it isn't as as a, a very large anymore. I I used to get it on a big deal, but it's coming in every now and then, but on a smaller deal. I'm accepting it as it is. It's a delight.
2: But you tell me you worry because you don't know whether you're making sense or not.
1: Yeah, that's right. I can't tell.
2: Was there a time in li- your life when you could tell?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Obviously, I never. I didn't have the touch of it. But I think it's the age that's creating the problem, and I don't know why. What difference does it make? But it's getting so that I can see that I'm not getting as much as I had before. It's just closing in more and more and more.
2: Are you afraid it'll close in too much?
1: Mm, I don't think it'll close in completely, but it'll slow things down completely. Can't tell. Mm. But it could turn itself around. If it levels out, oh my. Oh, how glorious.
2: The first place where we lived, you know, when I was a child, was the upper floor of a building that had been a casket factory. Imagine a downtown business district and then sweep with your eye along all those facades nearly the length of a block, and that was the size of the space. It was above these businesses that my father ran down below. And since it was a factory space, it had still in place one huge glass skylight that was sort of like a you know, a big glass box that sat on the top of the flat roof of the building. And one of the grocery stores one year, for some unknown reason, had palm trees. And so she bought a bunch of palm trees and set them up there. And there was a little pool that had fish in it And we had parakeets and they'd fly around the house and there was a rabbit that lived up there that was loose. But anyway, that house had 33 rooms filled with, you know, weird salvage things and odd pieces of furniture that she put together. She fabricated her own furniture, paintings, ceramic sculpture, you know, all this brilliantly colored stuff. So it was a a dramatic and extravagant and physical environment that she always created. I have some memories. Mm. When I was little and something got broken, I would put it together for you. Oh. And you would be so pleased. <laughs> no, I could fix anything. I remember you had this, this big Chinese vase and something happened that wasn't my fault and it Got knocked over and smashed into like a zillion pieces. Oh. oh, oh! Yeah, that was your reaction.
1: Oh, don't tell me.
2: And then I went to work on it, you know. And I couldn't. I had to have been under eight. And I remember laboriously piecing this thing together, you know, working for days, and then having this completed object, and your delight. I mean, I think that's something that I sort of forget the, uh, how intense my relationship was with you as a child because huh. you and I were great buddies.
1: Oh, I know. It was, it was such a nice feeling. Ah, yeah, it was
2: fabulous. I know, it about I mean, everything. No child had a relationship. No boy there you go. had a relationship there with his mother to compare with mine. We loved all the same things. There, was, there, we,
1: there wasn't anything that he said that he liked, but, but I liked it.
3: Most of the time, at this point, most of the time, I think Greg has a pretty realistic view of his mother's, of his mother's abilities. But it's hard to believe that one of your parents, as a capable person, is turning into a person who is not capable and i think there were there were times when he probably didn't think he was being impatient but he was he was a little bit too enthusiastic about reminding her that she really did know this person or that person or he she really did know where she lived or whatever but there've been some times where i have i've offered advice about you know i think that you need to loosen up on marge you know when she's like that when she's tired don't try to convince her that she remembers anything. You know, we'll just try to be reassuring that everything's going to be all right. You know, don't try to reassure her that she really does know where she lives because she cannot recall it. It is not with her. It's lost for today.
2: You used to love to go to empty houses, abandoned houses. Oh, yes. Oh, Do
3: you remember I mean.
1: that? Yeah, yeah, I loved it.
2: Yeah. they would just be open. You could go in.
1: Nobody had it. They were they were just wide open. Wide open,
2: and it was perfect. Little <laughs> tiny little five year old boy and a mother. You know you can get away with it. You know anything? Yeah. So we go. I think we even had a name for it: deserted housing. <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah. I mean, do you remember that? Here I am.
1: I did. Say, I yes. did. It was a lot of fun.
2: Yeah.
3: My oh, sister, when I come to lie in your arms, you should not treat me like a stranger. Before Greg and I went out, Greg and his parents had had sort of a falling out because he came out of the closet. And it was a shock. And I think his mother just sort of shrugged and said, oh, well. And his father was like really stunned and didn't want to talk with him for about a year. Would not speak with him but um he finally decided that he wanted them to meet me and told them that we were coming and and so when i actually showed up they they were gracious his father had a bottle of champagne waiting for us and his mother was seemed to me as though she was dressed up for church or a wedding or something. Rings on the fingers, three necklaces, you know, her clothes, some of it shines, you know, and just, but I clicked, I know I clicked with Marge right away because after we'd been there for a couple of hours, it was time to make the meal. And so she got up and said she was going to go into the kitchen to fix supper. And I got up to go and help her because, you know, I sort of am like a housewifey kind of guy. And I thought, I'm going to have a better time of it if I go in the kitchen with the mother than if I stay in here with the father. So I scooted to the kitchen, and we start banging around in the kitchen a little bit, and she all of a sudden starts telling me how she never wanted to get married. It wasn't her idea. She just wanted to live alone. Her mother arranged this marriage. She's not quite sure why she went along with it. And here they were at that time married 60 years. So we had this great chat in there about... Life and you know we just had this great you know girlfriend time in the kitchen. I I clicked with her right away.
1: What would you like to do? Me? Mm-hmm. Would you like to go on and on? Would you like to get married? Would you like to?
2: I am married. Are
1: you married now. Who? Bob. Oh, old Bob. I forgot about that. I forget that men and women. Are changing things.
0: Mm-hmm. We grew up together from the cradle to the grave. We died and were reborn and left mysteriously safe.
3: She lives in an assisted living place in Rutland, and she has one room with her own bathroom. She lives at a
2: place which is kind of like a holiday inn.
3: And a nice Has all closet. of the horridness of a holiday inn. Um, and she has her own furniture, and she has a lot of her own paintings on the wall. Like uh, um, a sense of style that's about
2: places like that, but nothing else.
3: I like to refer to it as
2: her apartment. It has nothing to do with the real world. It's sort of like... Mediterranean
3: vinyl she oftentimes resents us taking her back there at the end of the day her
2: first line of of response is it's a bunch of old
3: people when she gets tired all the way back she can't imagine where it is we're taking and her? And
2: she describes them. One time, she described them as having appliances. She said, "Everyone there has an appliance." And I said, "What?" Do you she mean? wants to get she a said,
3: picture of where we're taking her. In something her mind. they push right and she right keeps asking in questions. Or... And you know that she's searching, and no pictures are coming up for this girl. It's a blank screen. She just can't understand why we're taking her to a place that she lives, and she has no picture of it. So my mother's had problems. It's sort of like preschool where
2: little kids pick on somebody who's doing something odd or out of the ordinary. My mother with her extravagance, like she adores lipstick and she refuses to leave her room without a fresh application of lipstick and she likes brilliant red lipstick. So for a while there, she'd find her lipstick and use it and then she'd put it somewhere because she was afraid someone would steal it but of course she had no idea where it was so she never had any lipstick and therefore she assumed that her lipstick had been stolen so last christmas i asked everyone i could think of to give her lipstick and she ended up with buckets of lipstick so that there there was always lipstick somewhere you know if you have 20 lipsticks it's easier to find lipstick and so she finally gave up on this idea that the lipstick was being stolen. And there's a little sort of rim around the vanity in her bathroom. And she has these lipsticks all lined up on them, none of them with caps. But she uses the lipstick as rouge. We'll be about to go out and she'll run lipstick up her cheeks. And then she'll just rub them like that. And she looks a little out there. And the ladies, these more conservative, sort of prim ladies with tightly curled blue-gray hair and pearls, were, like, dumping on her. And, I, you know, I didn't realize that it was real. I thought it was just part of this, like, incomprehensible stream of stuff that she talks about. But she actually was being picked on by the ladies at her table because they were assigned seats. And she had to be cycled out of there to a table where she wouldn't be picked on. So all the things she told me about people being mean to her were true.
1: See, I like globby things. I might have gotten some of it heavier and brighter than it needed to be. I might have not known that it was so uh, bright. Mm. And it didn't look bright to me, but then...
2: Mm Whatever you're fairly extravagant. I mean, with the, all the jewelry and the bright colored clothing yeah. and the long hair. Yeah. And...
1: yeah, and I just do my own way, and it isn't anything that would abo- would make any difference to anybody. It's just the fact that uh, that's me.
2: Like today, you had a artificial Easter lily jammed in the top yeah. of your hairdo. <laughs>
1: I didn't plan to have it up there. I put it in there early, but I forgot it.
3: (laughs) Most of the time now, I really can't figure out who she's talking about. But when she really starts to get down to the point where she's talking about somebody that's really been bugging her, We know if the someone who's really been bugging her is a she, it's her mother. And if the someone that she's been talking about that's been really bugging her is a he, we know it's her late husband, Earl.
1: Where's my friend?
2: Which one? The boy. There's me. And you. And Bob. Is there another one? There was another one, but he didn't show up. Oh, my word. Well, what can we do here?
1: (laughs) He was constantly moving everything. Well so I just I just walked away Well, he wasn't my friend I can tell you
2: oh 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 well, then we don't need him here no, we don't need him. Oh, here it was someone I thought you were missing
1: No, no, I was glad to get rid of him oh that
2: would oh Earl you're thinking of Earl no Earl I haven't seen Earl for years well, well, that's because he died. I knew it but I think that's who you're thinking of.
1: Well, somebody told me he died, so mm. I let, let that go. Uh-huh. <laughs> Everybody's died. I know. I'm still alive. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> I don't know, am I that much older?
2: You're very old. Am I? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah.
1: I don't know how old I am.
2: Well, do you want to know? Yeah. You're 91. <gasps> oh! <laughs> <laughs> So much for drama. Yesterday, we went to the Messiah together. So I got into doing this thing with my mother where we would bump hips or we'd lean into one another with the music. You know, we held hands and we'd we'd move our hands together. And the thing about dementia, you can feel like, what am I going to do with this person? Because we can't really carry on a conversation. Or you can find ways to interact with somebody where there's no vestige of dementia because what you're sharing, you're experiencing in exactly the same way. And the music was like that. There's some places where the music builds incrementally and it continues building and it continues building and it continues building. It's like a thunderstorm gathering. You're working up to the point where finally thought, thunder crashes and there's lightning and the deluge begins you know you're at that point where it lets loose and when the moment came when when the full when the glory and power of the lord was revealed in by this swelling chorus at that moment she she shouted crack (laughs) because she was right there with me what's in
1: there
3: that's chicken. Do you want some more?
1: Not necessarily, no.
3: <clears throat> Should be lo- looking at maybe some ice cream. Ice cream? Mm-hmm.
1: Real ice cream? Real ice cream, yeah. Oh.
3: Think you could handle some of that?
1: Do I have to pay for it? No. No?
3: No, we, you, we'll let you skip by this time.
1: Oh, well, I'll take it next time.
3: <laughs> no, we'll get you some for free this time. <laughs> we'll put it on your tab. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You- For about a year now, she has started telling me that she loves me, and she's starting telling Greg that she loves him. And it occurred to me when she started doing this that that was a little unusual. So I asked Greg, and he said, she's never said I love you in his entire life. That's new for her, and I think it's a wonderful way to progress at the end of your life. If you've got to make a change at the end of your life, learning how to say I love you is a damn good place to be.
1: You're going to drop me off out here?
3: Yeah, at your place.
1: At my place?
3: Yeah.
1: Oh, at home? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That isn't too bad, isn't it?
3: Well, I hope not.
1: No. Maybe you could come to my house, but it isn't there. I don't have a house.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, your apartment is where we're going to take you.
1: Oh, to my apartment. Yeah, was there an apartment there?
3: Yeah.
1: Huh, I didn't know that.
3: Yeah, that's where you live. Now. Yeah.
1: When I get there. Yeah. And I'll I'll be living in that. Yeah. I'll be done. Okay. I'll probably live till ninety.
2: You're ninety one.
1: I'm ninety one. Holy mackerel! You'll have to put me to bed. <laughs>
3: Well, that's where we're headed next.
1: <laughs> yeah, you have to. You, you can put me in the bed and, and throw the dirt on me.
3: Well, not the dirt, dear, just the blanket.
1: <laughs> well, I love
3: the whole thing. Oh, good.
1: And I love you, and I love. But there's not very many people that I do love. So I'm lucky. Yeah. Well, I liked you when you were when I hardly knew you. Oh, good. Yeah. Didn't you realize that? that oh, I, yeah.
3: I figured you liked me right away.
1: Yeah, I did completely. I just, I took one look at you, and I listened to you, and I, I thought, hmm, a real man.
3: <laughs> oh, you're a hoot, Marjorie. <laughs> yeah.
2: The whole issue of love is so perplexing. We talk about it all the time, but what is it? I feel like what this thing with my mother has done, it's like an act of purification or something, so that when I turn to face my children, I can divest myself of nonsense, of interference, and try to approach them as openly and as lovingly, to be as present. That's what I'm learning with from the relationship with my mother. I'm learning how to be present. I mean that sounds so corny and trite, but a relationship with parents, spouse, and children we all know how vexed these relationships can be, and the incredible challenge is to figure out how to meet one another, you know where love is really the the main currency of the interaction, so I don't care how what my mother's state is, I don't care. What her mental capacity is, I don't care whether she knows who I am or not, by name. I can't imagine my relationship with my mother being any better at any point in my life than it is right now. There's no loss here.
3: Okay. okay. Shall we let's pack it up and head for town.
1: Let's let's duck her out. Are you
3: ready Myrtle? Huh? You said are you ready, Myrtle? <laughs>
1: well, I think Myrtle is always ready to go to do to something.
3: Okay.
1: What are you going to do?
2: I'm going to hit the stop button.
1: <laughs> the what?
2: The stop button.
1: And what does the stop button do?
2: It shuts this thing off.
1: Oh, I see. Well, so what? Okay.
2: <laughs> Here we go. Sometimes I walk
0: I spend the lonely night of a That was After the Forgetting, a show I made in 2008 featuring Greg Sherrow and Bob Hooker of Pittsford, Vermont, and Greg's mom, Marjorie Sherrow, who lives down the road in Rutland. If you have any comments or questions about the show, or if you have a family story of your own about caring for an aging parent, I'd love to hear from you. Just go to my website, RumbleStripVermont.com, and post a comment there. Marge is still alive at 97. In this second half of the show, we'll hear from Greg about how life has changed for them in the last five years. Thank you very much for for talking with me. So I'm here with Greg Shero um, having a conversation, I don't know, four years later? Mm Mm-hmm. And I guess I'd start just by asking what <laughs> what's happened since then
2: she's marge is ninety seven and will be ninety eight in february and um her loss is progressive it speeds up, it slows down every now and then it actually backtracks a little bit um but it's relentless and last spring she had a series of collisions three things came together it looked like you know it was medical th- events medical right. events and it looked like the the end the, you know we'd reached the end and there've been other times where we thought we'd reach the end but this really seemed like the end and it wasn't she bounced back but because of the fact that she'd been in decline i enrolled her in hospice and um that was in may or june and by september she had not only stabilized, but she had regained some lost ground.
0: What's the emotional response to these kind of waxings and wanings of her um, state? And and I mean, there must be mixed emotions that, that go along with all of this. Well,
2: we just went through Bob's mother's death. And um, she came to the end of her life by very slow degrees and when she finally was dying she clearly was dying and it felt right there was no resurrecting her you know she at almost 100 was used up and she was ready to die so we were ready for her to die so I don't know how I feel about uh, how, how my mother's death will be for me, you know, what I know is that, y- you know, we just had another crisis two weeks ago where I was in Montpelier um, interviewing for a project and I got a call from the nurse saying, okay, we got another confluence of things here and, uh, you know, her her breathing is, is labored and she's not responding to the usual treatment and uh, probably be a good idea if you got here quickly. So, mm-hmm. you know, tear off from here Bob tearing off from work and we get a milkshake and arrive expecting to be at her deathbed and you
0: get a milkshake for her yes right (laughs) yeah
2: and you know I dip the milkshake straw I, I mean I pull it out and I run it over her lips and her eyelids flap open and she looks up at me and raises her eyebrows two or three times and i put the straw in her mouth having sucked it so that there's liquid right at the top right, right. and she starts pulling on the straw and yeah. then stops and bursts into a gigantic smile
0: oh my goodness
2: so instead of um you know keeping a death watch here we are sharing a milkshake <laughs> yeah <You know? laughs> but the the thing that i was trying to get at before but that i was taking too long to get to was that so we had this pattern of bringing her out to the house over the last nine years, uh, eight years. And in the fall, we got to a point where it was the transitions in and out of the wheelchair became too confusing to her. So the the nature of the time that we spend together has changed. Mm-hmm. And now what we do is we bring a picnic to the meadows, and we go into the room that's designated as the library. We bring a milkshake for her, you know. We we bring you know wine and um, cornichons and cheeses and and a cloth, and we <laughs> we spread it all out because the scene is a really comfortable and familiar scene for her, right? And it gives us Bob and me we we aren't feeling like we're in an institution right we're feeling like we're on a holiday and Marge is with us. <laughs>
0: right. right.
2: Yeah. So we had this year we had her birthday party at the Meadows for the first time ever. Chris very accommodating. They set a table, a long table for us in this library, and we brought a meal in and the context of the meal, the birthday meal immediately, you know, set off a whole bunch of very deeply uh, rooted synaptic connections. Uh We wheel her into a room full of people and put her at the head of the table. And she slips into being the the center of attention, the queen for a day, the hostess with the mostest, you know. And a role that she is completely comfortable and familiar with. And although she doesn't speak any longer, she started speaking nonsense, but gracious nonsense, expansive nonsense, welcoming, loving, appreciative nonsense. And this has happened twice now. At the point in the meal where we were going to toast her, she bursts through, struggles with words, and then she... Speaks the toast. This wow. person who no longer speaks. And the toast is on point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Alma died recently. Bob's mother. Do mm-hmm. you? And you and it was time. I mean, she was nearly 100 years old. Mm-hmm. But was there anything about that experience that did surprise you or surprise Bob? Well, yeah. I mean,
2: but it's... I don't know how to say it. You know, the... We were at the price chopper. The phone rang, and it was Bob's nephew saying, um, you know, we just got a call from the nursing home. uh, You know, it sounds like things have changed, and if you want to see Alma, you probably should go. She was, at that point, really, 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 really thin Mm -hmm. and sort of lying in a fetal position. And she was non-responsive. but, you know, my thing is touch, touch, touch. Touch and talk, touch and talk, you know. Rub her head, you know. Tell her you love her, you know. And so, Bob spent, you know, a lot of time caressing her and and you know telling her, you know, what a great mother she'd been and how much he loved her and how much she'd given him and all of that. And um, you, you know, it was just absolutely clear to me that we needed. The, our curls right. you know and fortunately everyone was able to just do it you know and th- that evening er, you know we were all to- together right. and then uh george's children bob's brother's children were had also assembled so there's this big crowd of grandchildren and uh, bob and i went home to cook and uh george and cheryl went home and um uh, you know, we hadn't been home very long, and Bob's oldest daughter called us and said, uh, uh, "You know, we th- we think she died. I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure, but it, it seems like she died. <laughs> you know, could you please come? You know." So we <laughs> hopped in the car, and she had indeed died. And all of the cousins were huddled in the hall, and I heard one of George's children say to the group. Oh, God, the adults are here. (laughs) (laughs) These are kids in their 30s. But, you know, what do you do when someone dies? What do you do when your grandmother dies? You know? So we all came in and we all took over from our children. You know, going in and just simply being with Elma's body as as her body cooled. Mm -hmm, You know? mm -hmm. And um, taking a lock from her hair you know just it's a it's a lovely it's a it's a lovely opportunity to be with someone immediately after their death you know um when it's clear that life has gone
0: why can't tell me uh, because you you
2: you know it's such a mystery the the someone who's in their hundredth year that you know I'd known for more than 20 years Bob of course it's his mother um, to have to recognize that they are gone you know that what whoever whatever whoever they are they're 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 no longer inhabiting this physical entity you know and the, my mother used to say to me, People wring their hands about death, but we don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, why is it that everyone thinks that it's about something bad when it could be about something good? And of course, the idea of being reborn into everlasting life does sound pretty good, you know? <laughs> but, you know, her thing was more like it's a mystery. Right. And when it involves your mother, you're really in the front seat,
0: right, right? You know, right, right, right. Did do you, a lot of people talk? A lot of people talk about um, when they experience the death of a, of a kind of a primary person in their life, a mother, right? In this case, your mother-in-law that that there's a chapter after that death um that the death has somehow reframed your life and your your approach to your life or your your thought about the nature of being alive did you experience that or what well see i think
2: you know i just marvel at everything basically and um the fact that uh, you know bob and i are you know 63 and our mothers have persisted this long. There was a point where we were like uh, feeling like they'll never die. I mean, you know, <laughs> the, the fact, you know but it became they live so long and my mother is still alive that it be, it was like. Every everything about it felt like a gift, you know, because you no longer could take anything for granted. You know, they were so far beyond the, what our expectation had been, Right. that it was all about opportunity.
0: You're, you're describing a, a very different paradigm in living with aging parents than most people I think experience. Uh, there's a great sadness or, or an implied sadness and resistance that often comes with it. So describe how you made that leap from sadness and resistance to something else.
2: Well, it's all uh, sort of like making it up on the spot for me because it's when my grandmother, my mother's mother uh, was old, I was sort of terrified by uh, her losses. Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm.
2: I would grudgingly visit her in the nursing home, but it freaked me out. Mm hmm and uh you know certainly i've had lots and lots of experiences with older people since then but it isn't as though i'd evolved a philosophy necessarily mm-hmm. although my work is all about meeting people where they are and after you do that over and over and over again it sort of becomes automatic mm-hmm. um but ultimately it rests in relationship you know because Here is this person, my mother, and at this stage of the game, as she began to lose cognitive capacity, um, somehow or other, either because of that or because of where I was, all of the things that used to be problematic for me in that relationship stopped existing.
0: So the onset of dementia actually clarified the relationship in a way
2: either that or you know finally coming out coming to grips with my homosexuality and therefore being in a position where i could uh n- i no longer felt embarrassed by the fact that i was really connected to my mother mm-hmm. i mean for a guy to be really linked at the hip to your mom i mean it's like oh god but it, if you're gay uh you know there there's this great array of of things that were unacceptable as a straight guy that suddenly become institutionalized. <laughs> <laughs> so part of the deal was that both Bob and I could finally say, yes, you know, yes, we love our moms and we love being with them and mm-hmm. we identify with them. So that piece got released. Right. And, but then, you know, the, the, I think that the dementia did in fact, my mother used to be sort of, kind of manipulative and you know I could only take so much of her
0: right huh I
2: I mean I loved her but it was a push-pull kind of thing like I need more space Uh uh-huh you know, oh, I feel, you know, like suffocated, uh-huh. you know, back off. And
0: So was it a change or was it a change in her behavior or the way that she approached you? Or was it a, was it more of kind of a, a, a way that you reset your expectations of her in the in, in the in the dementia that, that made that change? I think
2: that it was a point where all of a sudden I was in a new role ah, I see. in relationship to my mother mm-hmm. because my father couldn't she was not willing to allow him to intervene or manage this new situation, but she would allow me. Hmm. And for me, it became then a question of, okay, what does she need? And that's been the, the that's
0: the primary question question
2: that I have been asking myself, her Hmm. and others ever since.
0: This is Rumble Strip Vermont. I'm Erica Heilman. You're listening to an interview with Greg Shero of Pittsford, Vermont, and we're talking about how dementia has changed and in some ways deepened his relationship with his mother. I wonder if you have any either, I mean, I guess maybe advice is the wrong word, but having done this now for a very long time, if you had thoughts for people who are just entering into the process of being with aging parents. I You know, it's
2: really hard for me to be prescriptive because everybody, you know, like so. It's like a Rorschach blot. I mean, do you see flowers or do you see devils? You know, and the change in a parent's cognitive status. We won't talk about everything else that happens with aging. You know, I think is is very unsettling, and depending upon what a person's relationship with their parent has been about that is going to pose different kinds of challenges and one of the big pieces in all of this is a sense of loss and i can't deny that sense of loss and i wouldn't ever you know rush in to someone whose experience of this change is sort of shaped by loss and say oh you're you're missing the boat or, you know, because, you know, everybody has to follow their own path in finding their way. This is a, it's a big deal. And, Mm and, and, and and it is not one size fits all. And
0: you're right. I, I'm, I deeply and inherently resistant to, to being prescriptive in any way, I guess.
2: Well, I do have one prescriptive thing that I would like to say. (laughs) And that is that I think it's absolutely essential that as a, caregiver or a partner a person in a support role with an older person I think someone with dementia um certainly there are these institutional settings that are sort of built around the care for people with that condition right but they need to have an advocate and um the big thing to advocate for is independence you know i have been really dogged about trying to make sure that my mother had as much control as possible for as long as it was safe and appropriate mm-hmm. over the conditions of her life mm-hmm. and there's a an impulse to a kind of take over too much oh. and it's important to just take over what absolutely needs to be taken over and to leave as much of a person's independence and... Um, autonomy. Yeah, autonomy in place for as long as you possibly can. And that's an ever-shrinking island, but that needs to be policed and preserved as an uh, a key ingredient of um, uh, qu- quality of life for a person with dementia. One
0: thing that I notice about your... Uh relationship with marge is there's there's still intent listening Mm. (laughs) and uh conversation that feels very genuine but and it's not there's not a great insistence on content but there is a lot of content even if it's in tone um and and that i wonder if you can you can talk about that yeah
2: well when i as i said she rarely speaks and she's wheelchair bound And uh, she sleeps a lot. (laughs) That doesn't (laughs) sound like a party, but she is still engageable. And I can't remember if I used this language before, but when I spend time with her, when Bob and I spend time with her, because we each do this in our own way, the thing that we, our first objective is to find her. And that may take a while. I mean, we may be there a half hour or 45 minutes before. We make that kind of zzz, you know thing where you realize that the wires have connected and there's been a jolt. How through does that
0: them. Can you describe what that what that how how you know that that's happened?
2: Oh, you can just feel it. Um. You know, all of a sudden she's there. It's like the lights go on. Huh. And big part of it is touch. I mean, we we hold hands. I rub her head a tremendous amount, and uh, sometimes she'll go. You know, which means she wants to give me a kiss. Sometimes she'll withhold kisses. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and all the time she's looking at me coyly and smiling or frowning or all of these expressions that I know so intimately. I mean, occasionally I'll go and there's nothing happens. <laughs> That's really rare. You know, what what more frequently happens is we hit pay dirt and we have an intimate and fun time together. You know, the question is, is it just like we always have been together or is it something new? I don't know. It feels really familiar and it feels really substantial and it feels really fulfilling.
0: I know that for you, or I mean, I know you well enough to know that it isn't a question of patience, that there isn't, but I know that, but, but I think we've also had a conversation where you said, yeah, in fact, there is a ratcheting down. There is a sort of a conscious um, d- a discipline to ratchet down expectation and also to, you know, the the nature of time changes. So describe how oh. is that a muscle that one develops?
2: Oh God. Yeah. It's a discipline. It's, it's like, it's almost like a form of meditation. I don't visit my mother as often as I did before or as often as I would like to, because I have to I have to carve out a fairly big chunk of time to get myself in the right place to be able to be present with her. Huh. I mean I can't I mean I can dash in and out and rub her on the head and say, Hi honey, you know, I'm right. just here for a minute. But the really substantial connection thing which is what I want, mm-hmm. uh, takes time. And it it is really like a meditative act. Mm-hmm. You know? Because I have to empty my mind of everything
0: <laughs> but her. Yeah. Why do we expect our aging parents to be other than they are?
2: Well, you know, I just thought of something. You know, excuse me, and I will answer that. But... <laughs> She, at at one point, where we had one of these amazing interactions that are like mime, really, that's the best description. She she vocalized. And what she said at the end was, I'm still in here.
0: I... There's something terrifying to me. I mean, I don't know why I'm going in this direction, but there's something terrifying to me about the prospect of someone, of the all those impulses still being alive and not having anybody who's looking for you, mm-hmm. or yeah, or patient enough to wait for you. Or
2: well, I think that you know, dementia is a tragedy. I, there's no way I would advocate for anyone to go through what she is going through. You know, I I I don't see it as having an upside. But this is what's happening. And in some ways, it has propelled us to a, a more, I think, to a more fundamental kind of connection. And it's something I think people experience on deathbeds as they, you know, hold a dying parent's hand or give them a little bit of liquid to moisten their dried lips you know a, a a kind of tenderness and immediacy like one has with an infant you know there is a strong sense that people express about having lost someone through dementia or parkinson's or p- particularly diseases that have a, a, co- a, a cognitive impact and um, they have they've lost the person that they knew mm. but of course my argument is it's not over. As my mother said herself, I'm still in here, you know. So, yes, you've, I've lost the vivacious, outrageous, larger-than-life person who, you know, painted these extravagant canvases and, you know, yeah, she's gone. But the essential something or other, I feel that her essential self is still there. And I mean, it's about a diminishment of means. Mm. You know, the the communicative tools that she, as a full-blown adult, had available to her, were vast, mm. and now her toolkit is absolutely minute, and it continues to diminish. So interacting with her is—it's a figuring out how to do that is a constant challenge. Mm-hmm. And you, you, my piece is that she's a moving target, you know, which is true also of infants. You, you know, through age five, think about the mm-hmm. enormous changes that people ex- that a, a person experiences. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, as children are growing and developing, you know, we're, we're, we're comfortable with the restricted interactional capabilities of an infant. I mean hey you can snuggle make little kisses on the cheek and I mean there's the a whole repertoire of ways of interacting that are deeply satisfying and we aren't saying you know I wish I could talk about uh Buddhist cosmology you know <laughs> <laughs> and as you move along you know Things change, and the relationship changes and the ways in which you your interactive repertoire changes and you know but this is all like built into our structure of expectation right and then you get to the other end and the process starts going in a different direction and the I think maybe the problem is that this business of living long although there always have been some people who lived into Vast old age. It, you know, maybe we just haven't had enough experience with it yet to be able to feel comfortable with loss, to accept loss as a fact of aging and to anticipate that our relationship with a loved one is going to have to keep pace with loss right. in order to be able to maintain our relationship.
0: What what do you imagine life will be like without Marge?
2: In a way, I, I think it's going to be a smooth transition for the very reason that, you know, I'm busy saying to Bob, it's okay, mm-hmm. you know, because I've, I have just, in the last year or so, I've felt my own aging process more Um, sort of more consciously than at any point before Mm -hmm. Um, sort of a a, sort of a a little bit of a decline in uh, stamina Mm -hmm. I'm kind of driven I've always got a million balls in the air and you know I can become anxious and and now I have so much responsibility that if I think about all of it uh, I would be paralyzed And so that's I think aging experience you know Marge Marge is a big lesson teacher for me. Mm-hmm. You know, every time I interact with her, I leave feeling like I've moved f- to a new place in thinking about something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean it's just it's like wow. Right. But in a, in quiet moments, um I can feel her. I can I can hear her in things that I say. You know, when I look at our house, this crazy sort of assemblage of so many different pieces, many of which originated with her, you know, and people say, Whoa, you know, is this a yard sale? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's Marge. I mean, I feel like in a way I have this sense of being like a conduit. And I think of it both behaviorally and genetically, because I'll think about Marge and I'll think about her grandmother who raised her and, all of the self-reliance and independence and inventiveness and courage and all the things that Marge attributes to her, as well as love. And, I, and I'll think about Marge's father and his peculiarity, his absent-mindedness, his charmingness. You know, a man I never met. All of these personalities and experiences that were formative for her are formative for me. And so I'm, I feel ready to release her Sometimes I worry that she continues living because of me, because she feels that I need her to be alive. Mm. And maybe I do. But I also am ready when I think for the time when her life will end. And I feel like I can embrace that. I can love it. I, I can love the gift of her in her dying and carry her with me long after her death.
0: You've been listening to an interview with Greg Shero of Pittsburgh, Vermont. I'd love to hear your comments about the show, or any comments or questions you might have for Greg. And if you're caring for an aging parent, or you are an aging parent, I'd love to hear your story. Visit me at RumbleStripVermont.com. And while you're there, please sign up for a free subscription to the show, and I'll send you a notice about upcoming programs. This is RumbleStrip Vermont. I'm Erica Heilman. Next week, stay tuned for Jari Chevalier and Living Hero. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: My stardust melody The memory of life friends